What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson natural boneless chicken breasts for $2.49 a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. The following is a Hoop Bowl presentation. Greetings, everyone, and welcome to On The Fly, the official Pelicans podcast for HoopBall.com, providing in-flight insight for all the Pella fans out there. Yesterday was media day, so in today's episode, we're going to recap all of the best quotes and talk about their significance and our general impressions of the interviews. We'll also discuss expectations for the rookies this season. I'm your host, Nick Garisco, and as always, I'm here with Pelicans expert Michael Pelichet. Michael, Media Day usually comes during the beginning of training camp, and it allows the media to interview the players and coaches and kind of get to know them more. And what I'm going to do here is I thought it'd be fun for me to give some of the noteworthy quotes and kind of get your takes on them here. And and we'll start with David Griffin. And uh, I I think the first quote that really stuck out to me, actually, was on David Griffin's interview. He went in the beginning of the day, and he said that, uh, I quote, we're here to beat people's ass. <laughs> and so, excuse the language there, but uh, what, are, what are your thoughts on that? I think it kind of speaks to the aggression and in, in, in the win now approach that we've discussed. I think it also goes back. I mean, you can talk about the, the new brand that they have with Won't Bow Down. Um, all of right. the communication this summer has really been about the culture that they want to build. And I think they definitely want to rebrand the Pelicans and the way that they're perceived in the city itself. And I, I like it. I, I, I like it, it at least sounds nice. You know, I, I don't think it's better than like, the alternatives, right? Like I, we're, we're going to lay low and, you know, yeah. we'll, we'll win when we win. So, I mean, it's look, it's all lip service at this point for pretty much every media day. But I like the idea of it. And, you know, we'll see if they back it up. Right. And you're seeing some coaches like the Washington Wizards coach just came on record and said, oh, this year is going to be more about player development. But that that is not the case here in New Orleans here. Every indication is that, you know, we're going for it and won't bow down. I got to get your opinion on that. What do you think of the new uh, slogan for this season? 
I like it, and I can't remember who I was talking to who was saying that it's it might be a shot at Davis Browdown and like oh, all that okay. kind of stuff. I don't know, you know. It's always hard for me to tell when there are subtle shots being taken, just because, right. especially with Griffin, because he is so polished. Like it seems like it can't be unintentional, but at the same time, yeah, I think he's being very intentional on what he wants to create, and that really has nothing to do with Davis. You know, I think that's they want to be different from how they were with Davis in, in terms of the franchise perception. But I wouldn't say like you don't want to be beholden to oh we're over our ex and then talk about our ex all the time. Like that doesn't make yeah. any sense to me. So. I like it though. What do you think? I think it's aggressive, and I, I like it too. I think that David Griffin, who later said he said he said they didn't put us on national TV thirty times to take a beating, and and I love how much <laughs> actually, yeah. So I love how much that he is talking about getting kind of the spotlight. He knows that he's going to get more of it with Zion Williamson, obviously. He knows that we have more nationally televised games. In fact, we opened the season with the Toronto Raptors on TNT. And so, and then I think three of our first four games are on national television. I might, might be wrong about that, but it starts early, right? And he knows he's going to be getting more of the spotlight, and I'm happy that he's being aggressive about it and not saying – Hey, look, you know, I know that, you know, Zion's in his rookie year. We could, you know, treat this year as year one of a development. But no, I mean, this is all about making the playoffs. Yeah, and I think that's the way that it should be. I mean, I, I do think that you had said earlier about sort of like what the Wizards were doing and, and obviously the Pelicans are trying to be very different. But I do think that player development is a big part. I, I guess the what I would say is that it is it's simultaneous, right? Like we're we're both trying to win and doing player development like if there's a scale of 100 percent is you're trying to win every game as much as you can you're not at all worried about the future and zero is i guess not the wizards but more like memphis i would say that we're probably like 75 25 winning yeah. you know For i think now. they're really invested yeah and I, that'll change and I, I like what schmidt said last week about the fluidity of it all where they're sort of set up to adapt to whatever you know how the season goes is going to dictate how they play players you know you might see players like Brandon Ingram and and Lonzo and the younger guys getting more time as the as the season sort of comes to a close but then again if we are in the playoff hunt maybe they don't get a a huge uptick in minutes it'll be I really am like this is a weird season in which I could really see so many different things turning out aside from injuries right like injuries will always affect your win-loss total but I'm this is probably the first year in a while where I could see us winning. You know, I, I don't 50 games feels like a stretch. I think high 40s, um, and then I could also see us winning 33, 34. You know, just depending on what they want to do. Right, which is about what we won last year. But we're a lot more talented than last year. And Jackson Hayes is the guy that I think of when you're talking about kind of player development. When it's kind of past the point of making the postseason, if 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 it's late in the year and mathematically it's just a long shot there uh jackson hayes the guy i think i mean we'll talk more about him later in the episode when we discuss rookie expectations here but uh i kind of want to continue this conversation real quickly you you mentioned 75 25 as going all out win now uh being 100 percent and zero percent being uh, focusing on player development is, it, I, I don't want to call it, it's not tanking, but just focus, just putting guys that you know are going to be more of your future prospects on the court to see how they fare and to get them minutes here. Um, 
I guess I guess my question, or I guess my point I wanted to make was that I, I don't think any NBA team is actually at a hundred percent win now. And, and and I know that sounds crazy, but the season's so long that even like the Warriors or uh, or a team that you know you expect to make the postseason. I still think that they're not 100%. When I think at 100%, I think, you know, playoff environment where you don't care about anyone's minutes at all. You are going all out. You're not trying to conserve anybody. You're not trying to uh, keep them rested for future games. Like you're trying to win this game 100% no matter what the cost is in the future, right? That's what I think of as 100%. And even, even NBA teams who are even more competitive than the Pelicans on the surface or on paper are not going 100% win now in in generally in any NBA game, like during the regular season. Do you agree with that? I think that's a fair point. So I guess the way that I see it is it's 100% of what is the maximum, which is typically teams that are probably fringe playoff teams that really want to make into the playoffs because those right. are the teams where they, maybe they're like old enough to where they have a real shot at the playoffs, but they're you know still not going to be – the teams that are really in championship hunt, like they're not going to try to win every game like you're saying. So maybe I could scale it back a little bit and say let's just pretend using my original theory, maybe the maximum's like closer to, to 90%, right? So that's becoming Yeah, that's new... what I was thinking. Yeah, no, I think it's a fair point. And I, but I do think so you know, it's hard to quantify it. Again, this is sort of like a just throwing stuff yeah, at the board right now, but yeah. but I, I do think that that is sort of their perception is at least with the Pelicans is that they're going to try to win and they're going to be developing young players in the midst of that. But at the same time, like the winning is the priority in my mind, at least right now. Yeah. You know, again, these things are all subject to change in the middle of the season. But athleticism and defense seems like it's going to be a priority for the Pelicans. And it kind of seems like it's going to be our 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 thing. Right. Like what we're known for, our identity, if you will. Uh, Alvin Gentry spoke about that yesterday at Media Day. He says, I think we'll be disappointed if we are not a top 10 defensive team. Michael, I'm going to put you on the spot here. Will the Pelicans be a top 10 defensive team next season? That <laughs> I'm terrified to answer this. Uh, shoot. <laughs> I really am. Well, do, you I, agree, I, do you agree with the quote at least? Like, Do you think it'll be a disappointment if the Pelicans are not a top 10 defensive team? Let's put it that dis- way. Disappointment seems like a stretch. I would say... I think they'd probably top out between like seven and ten. I think that's like the ceiling for them. I don't. I can't imagine them being a top five defense next year simply because you have to have so much experience to make that happen. I do think if Lonzo stays healthy, that he if he and Drew are playing together all year, that perimeter defense is going to be just outstanding. And so I think that's where it all starts. And then Favors is going to be a re- Favors already is by the way a really really good rim protector, right? I think it was second spectrum that was saying that he was technically the top perimeter. I mean, the top rim protector last year. I, I don't know if that factored in volume against him because I, I certainly wouldn't say that favors is the best rim defender in the game, but he's very, very good. And if you have very, very good perimeter defense and you have very, very good defense at the rim when he's playing, I, I think you at least would have construct a good defense. You know, help me out here because you know, I'm, I'm, I'm more of an NFL guy here and yards allowed in the NFL is is one of the main statistics you use for measuring team defense, which obviously, you know, you can get where I'm going with this. You know, I think that's a very flawed metric. Uh, I hate when people use yards allowed to talk about how good a defense is. 
uh, because a lot of it's so much based on offense or situation here. What are some of the uh, defensive metrics that are used that you use to determine who has the top, which teams have the top defenses in the NBA? Defensive, uh, I should say, defensive uh, rating is is sort of one of them. I I usually go by. I can't remember exactly if that's the exact same as uh, is defensive efficiency. So defensive efficiency is like how many points you allow per 100 possessions, which, you know, if you divide by 100, like basically you're getting like points per possession. Um, I think that's the one that I look to the most. And what's sort of lost on people, and this is something that I think a lot of the the old guard sort of uses improperly, is they'll say, well, the Pelicans allowed, you know, X points per game. But in reality, if you're taking way more shots than the other team – you know, every time you're taking a shot, assuming that it's not an offensive rebound, it's either going in the hoop or the defense is getting it. And if that's the case, then they're going to get another shot as well. So, like, you're not adjusting for how fast your pace is is a really poor use of statistics in my mind. Now, if you want to, like, say them in conjunction and say, look, this is a team that allowed 106. Uh, part of that really was the pace, you know, but, like, obviously they're – it's a team like it sort of factors in both how good you are at defense and how fast you're playing. But in terms of pure defense, I mean, there really is it's it's defensive defensive efficiency, and then rebound rate obviously matters a great deal too because it doesn't, you know, it, if you're not getting any rebounds, like that that's that's going to be a problem. Yeah, I think that a, a, as big of a sample size you're going to get with the NBA with all these games, efficiency metrics are much more valuable than just straight up. Uh, raw metrics is is a lot of people call them here. Uh, Michael, let's get into uh, Z- you know there were a lot of quotes about Zion Williamson, right? I mean there I mean everyone was he was the talk of media day pretty much. Uh, I'm gonna uh, spew off a couple of quotes here just because I think they're interesting, but then I'll ask you a question afterwards. Uh, Derek Favors said that uh, Zion is a different animal in person than he is on TV. He's a good dude, not arrogant at all, always humble, doesn't look like a rookie. Jaleel Okafor said of Zion, every single day that we've played, he does something four or five times that kind of takes your breath away. Uh, Zion Williamson himself said that his relationship with Jackson Hayes and Nikhil Alexander-Walker um, – you know they were that they were tight and that they were kind of going. They've been going on their college tour, which we've kind of discussed in the last few podcasts. Actually, we, we've liked how good their relationship is. And lastly, I'll get to uh, Alvin Gentry. He said that Zion is not here to save the save our franchise. We aren't asking him to put on a cape and save our franchise. He just, uh, I just want Zion to get better day by day. Uh, what what are your thoughts on all these quotes about Zion Williamson? What's your takeaway here? I, so there's two things, right? There's there's one talking about his character, and there's one talking about the expectations that they have for I him. I should actually mention that Frank Jackson, about his character, last one here. Sorry to cut you off there. No, that's But funny. he's called Zion a pure, genuine person. So, yeah, another character quote there. But go ahead. So uh, in terms of the character, you and I have definitely talked about this. I, I really do. I mean, from all appearances, it seems like Zion is just a really, really class act, someone who was raised the right way, just someone who has just a really good handle on things, especially for given his age. Um, and, and not just that, I mean, what, what really stands out to me is that he's got this infectious personality. You know, it's, it's quite different to be a good person and then to be a good person in a way that just sort of is, it just sort of permeates the entire team. And I, I think that that's very obvious. And, and not that I'm like hating on people who aren't more outspoken, but I think having an infectious personality 
in addition to being a really good person, that's a, that's a foundation setter. Now, will he set the foundation right now? Probably not because there are plenty of other people to do that with him. Um, but in terms of that, I, I fully expect that they're being honest about it. I, I, he just seems to be that, that great. And in terms of the expectations from Gentry, that's something they've been so careful about from the get-go is they don't want to put right. him in a situation where, you know, it's nice that he's in New Orleans and out of the spotlight a little bit. But like you said, they are on national TV a whole lot. And I think they're they're being very careful about not thrusting too many expectations on him because then, you know, if he doesn't do great at the very beginning, everybody's going to be talking about him being a bust. They're going to be talking about his weight, that's for sure, because they love to harp on that one. Um, and in reality, most rookies just aren't that good at basketball. It, it really doesn't matter who you're talking about. I mean, there are very few rookies who come into the league and are ready to contribute as a two or three option right away. That, that's a pretty unusual circumstance. And, and, and even if they are, that doesn't necessarily mean that, like, let's just say next year, Zion's the third best rookie. That doesn't mean he's going to have the third best career. Uh, the rookie year is important, but I, I don't want to, like, sit there and say, we're going to judge everything for his entire career based on what we see in one season. I think that's ridiculous. Yeah, that sounds like something the New York media might do there. But New Orleans' smaller market might play to his advantage here. And, of course, all the other things that David Griffin has discussed, like uh, this being Drew Holiday's team and uh, et cetera, that kind of stuff will help him maybe live up to or keep the expectations a little bit lower. Or even if it's not expectation-related, keep the – keep the role actually on the court a little bit lower. So where Zion doesn't have to put on a cape like uh, like Alvin Gentry said there. Uh, the last thing on Zion here before we even get to the rookie expectations and touch more on this is uh, J.J. Redick, right? I mean, this, this was the soundbite of media day yesterday, and Zion Williamson said that uh, in his first conversation with J.J. Redick, uh, J.J. Redick talked about his playoff streak. And, Michael, we actually talked about this uh, two podcasts ago uh, when we were talking about the Zach Lowe uh, interview with J.J. Redick, and they interviewed him for an hour, and J.J. Redick was uh, pretty serious about his playoff streak of 13 straight seasons. Every season he's been in the NBA, his team has made the playoffs. And so 13 for 13 streak on the line. And in the first conversation he had with Zion Williamson, he brought that streak up and he said, hey, man, you know, uh, for a more courteous way of saying it, don't uh, don't screw this up for me. That, that's what Reddick said to Zion. Uh, what, what are your thoughts on that? I think it kind of goes back to another thing that we've talked about is they seem to get along really well. And I think that's one of the best indicators of that is that people are willing to mess around with each other. I think that shows a level of comfort. <laughs> Obviously, that can go the wrong way, too. But it just seems like everybody's kind of OK giving each other some crap. And I, I, that's they haven't known each other that long. Like these aren't people who have been playing together for years. In fact, it's quite the opposite. And it's nice to see that they're able to mess around with each other. There's a really positive energy. You know, all these things that we're talking about are sort of like. I almost hate them because I much prefer tangible things like where I, we can point to something out and say, this is that rather than, oh, they seem to be good people or, oh, they, you know, they seem to be having a good time together. But these things seem to be very much true that they, the culture that they're building is, is around their players, around their staff. And, and it just seems like they're having a good time. I, I love it. I really do. Like I'm, I'm all in at least watching it and hopeful that it'll continue throughout the year. Yeah, it kind of amps you up for the season when the team has a lot of positive energy 
uh, behind it. And it kind of actually reminds you of the Saints swagger that's really going on when all their dances in the locker room and everything like that. And if, you know, the Pelicans' home court advantage can get anything like the Saints' home field advantage, I mean, it'll really be, it'll really add to that intensity here in New Orleans and that excitement here. Uh, speaking of New Orleans, that's going to be my cheap segue here. Uh, this was actually my favorite quote. I, I like the J.J. Reddick quote, of course, but we've already discussed that on, on episode two of this, on this podcast here on the fly. But uh, Ingram had my favorite quote of the day, and Brandon Ingram said, uh, hey, New Orleans has some good food. I know I look like I need it. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, you know where I'm going with that. Uh, he does look, uh, you know, very skinny, right? I mean, to put it, to put it lightly, uh, pun intended there, he looks very skinny. Uh, I don't know if New Orleans, the classic traditional New Orleans food that everybody's really speaking of, like the gumbo and the etouffee and uh, all of that stuff, is maybe what he needs but are you concerned about his weight um and also you touched on zion's weight earlier are you concerned about his weight as well kind of a two-part question there okay so as far as ingram's concerned no i'm, I'm not concerned with it at all i think players who are wiry have a better chance of holding up the nba than players who are thicker um it's just a big physical toll on you. I mean, that many, you know, miles on your body, it, it just adds up. I mean, LeBron over the years has trimmed down a good bit for that reason. So in terms of Ingram, no, I mean, I don't think, especially given, look, so Ingram is not playing center. Like Ingram's not banging in the paint every night. That's not what he's asked to do. So if he were, then yeah, I would have, I would have more of an issue with it. But in reality, like the physical demands for him are very much more going to be how mobile is he? You know, can he run up and down the floor? Can he chase guys around screens? Stuff like that. And and to me, I don't see why a lack of weight would be a problem in those regards. Um, he's also long enough to compensate for some of those weight issues. So no, I mean, in terms of Ingram, no, I, I'm not worried at all. Uh, with Zion, I, I think, okay, so I'm not worried. I think it's an area to watch. And this is something that people love to key in on because look, it, it could become a problem. I'm not going to sit here and say that Zion you know, his weight isn't something that could become an issue because it, it could, but I just don't think there's any reason to panic yet because it hasn't yet been an issue in an NBA season. So I think you want to look at, you know, over the course of his career, how he manages that weight. The problem obviously would be is if he has a major injury and, and for whatever reason, you know, he, he can't keep off some, some excess weight. Maybe he loses some of the, some of that explosion. I think an injury, I'm more concerned with, with Zion's weight than I am Ingram, but again, I'm not I'm not concerned yet. I'm just I note that it's a an area in which we could have issues later if he doesn't take care of it. Which yeah. I don't see anything there to believe that he won't that they won't yeah. take care of it. That's definitely true. And we have the situation where and Coach K, uh Coach Joseski kinda of pointed this out uh before the summer league where he was talking about, you know, They've basically been going on a college tour, right? Before the draft, a lot of players will gain a little bit of weight uh, during the offseason of their rookie year because they aren't training and they have to go through all these uh, flights and they're eating fast food in the airports, et cetera, et cetera. And they're not ready to get, they're not able to get on their normal training regimen because now they're going to meetings for endorsements, et cetera. There's just so many things, especially with a guy like Zion, who's probably being recruited by you know who knows how many companies right now like to 
sign up whatever type of thing they can to uh, to, to get involved with Zion Williamson. So he's a very busy dude in the offseason. So, you know, I could see him gaining, you know, 10 pounds and then working it off as the season progresses. That wouldn't shock me at all. And then in, in the, the, the converse of that, or on the, the, the flip side here is Brandon Ingram, where, you know, it always makes when a player is so rail thin like that, it always kind of makes me remember when Kevin Durant went to the NBA Combine, right? And I think the bench press, not that it's even a remotely good indicator of, you know, how strong a basketball player is, but but I think that bench press is 135 pounds at the NBA Combine. So and, what the fact check this? I, oh, sorry, I think it's 185. I, it's 185. Yeah, I think. Sorry, yeah. NFL is 225, and yeah. NBA is 185. Excuse me for that. And Kevin Durant couldn't do one, and it's like, oh gosh, you know, he can't do 185 one time. I mean, what a little weakling, you know. And you look at his calves, and you're like, gosh, he is just such a skinny little twig. And then you see him play, and you're like, oh. Yeah, well, none of that stuff matters because if the guy can play, the guy can play. So kind of like Ingram there. Yeah, maybe he does need to gain a little tiny bit of weight. But again, that's not something to really be concerned about until Zion and Ingram do something that, you know, makes it a concern. Right. But right now, just looking at them, you know, I, I agree with you. I'm not very concerned just because of the way they look. But I do think it'll be a topic of conversation. Like if Zion were to struggle out of the gate, I do think that it'll be a topic maybe on ESPN. Will it be relevant not or not? You know, we don't know. Half the stuff they say is not really relevant. But but I do think it'll be mentioned, and that's why maybe we should mention it here now. Uh, I also want to point out before we move on that it is possible for Ingram that his heart condition is one reason that he hasn't been able to, you know, put on a little more weight if he's trying, right? Maybe. I mean, I don't know enough about the blood clot issues yeah. to know whether or not that factors into his weight. I mean, a lot of NBA I would just players think logically there, yeah. It could, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, I don't I don't know enough about the science behind it to speculate, but I would say that, you know, I you look at a lot of these basketball players, I mean, they're really thin. I mean, look, I mean, they're obviously extraordinarily strong for their sizes, but cuz they're, they're they're just amazing athletes, but in terms of the weight that they carry, if you look at a basketball player in real life, like they're not that like they're just not that heavy. I mean, they're not like I, yeah. not to get just like tall. personal here. I mean, like I'm two oh five, right? I'm five ten, and I'm not like huge, but I mean, like I'm bigger than <laughs> a lot of NBA players who are like maybe two or three inches taller than I am, and you know, yeah. like I, <laughs> clearly well, they're bigger, in way better not shape. Bigger, you're heavier. I guess. I'm, yeah, <laughs> yeah, I'm chubbier, right? So like, but like these guys aren't like the they're just not that big usually in terms of their actual weight like they just they're just all muscle and yeah. that's you know that's why they're the amazing athletes that they are so yeah, brandon ingram seems like a pretty chill dude he doesn't seem like somebody who's who's overindulging in the in the in the food life there uh mike let's get to the uh next topic here and or actually our next quote here and this is one of the last and not the last interesting one, but it was one of the ones I found kind of most interesting here because it involves, let's get back on the court here. Etwan Moore says that they are looking for him to take more threes this season. And he told reporters that uh, the team wants him to average six per game. Uh, and so I'm thinking maybe we've been talking about, or at least I know I've been talking about, I, I've been speculating that the Pelicans 
primary weakness this year might be the three ball behind J.J. Redick. And it looks like the Pelicans want Etwan Moore to be th- that guy who maybe steps up from long range there. Uh, what are your takeaways from the six-per-game estimation here? Do you think that's more of coach speak, or do you think that's uh, you think that's legitimate? So what, do they say six per game, or do they six, say six per 36 minutes? Well, they, they, he said, like, he's he was quoting the coaches, and he said, like, six per game. That was the quote. That's a lot. So so, so last year, um, you know, depending on how much he's playing, obviously that's going to be a big influencer. Moore's never been someone who's taken a really, really high volume of threes. He's always been fairly successful in terms of his success. I'm sorry, I'm, I'm stumbling all over my words here, but he's always been successful percentage-wise, but his volume has never been that great. So we did actually talk about this and absolutely like shooting is, is going to be an area of concern. Um, Darius Miller was really the one when he went down, he and Redick were the only ones who shot three with a lot of volume. Again, I don't know what yeah, Miller is going to look like in terms of how many threes he's taking in the NBA, but I, I think logically, yeah, Moore would be one of the guys who could step up and do, do more three point shooting. I, I'm interested to see, I just don't. It, it's gonna be hard for me to like swallow playing Etwan Moore too much. Like I, I, I'm not nothing against Etwan Moore. It's just I think we have a log jam on the perimeter, and I, I just don't know how you get everybody minutes. So like how he would take six per game, I mean that wouldn't happen unless he was having serious serious minutes. Um, so I, I don't know how I feel about it because I don't know if it's in the best interest of the Pelicans to be playing him a whole lot. Because yeah. I, I think they need to give minutes to Hart. They, they have a lot of minutes for Ball. You know, maybe Ingram can slide up and play four. I think he will. And I think, like, at least at some to some extent, because they're going to have to. But, like, there's just too many mouths. Like, I, I it's going to be hard to balance all that. My takeaway from it is pretty similar, except I think it sounds like something a coach would say to a player who might be in line for less or fewer minutes and maybe potentially frustrated about it. Uh, not saying that Etwan Moore is frustrated, but I think it might be a proactive way for a coach saying, hey, listen, you know, you're know, you not going to be this massive part of the rotation. We have a lot of talent on this team. Uh, but when you're in the game, you know, we want you to score, so be ready, right? Like That's kind of how I take the uh, quote in kind of his role. So I'm just wondering, I don't know how many minutes he's going to play. I agree with you. It's tough to really figure out where – he fits in or or estimate his minutes here but it sounds like when he is on the court it sounds like the coaches do want to want him to kind of jack it up and just uh you know be that threat from deep i think they do and i don't think they're wrong to say it because i I do think one of the things that more is a good enough shooter to justify taking more shots per minute than he does. So, again, not like Etwan Moore is someone that I want to throw the ball to and say, hey, go create a shot. But if Etwan Moore gets the ball and has yeah. some space, I, I want him shooting, period. He's a good enough shooter to justify doing it. So, you know, I don't mind that. And I guess where I'm interested, too, is it's going to be very... I'm curious this year about they'll be building players' values because I don't think this roster is, you know, I don't think it's rigid. I, I do think that there there could potentially be a trade, you know, around the All-Star break, and of the players who I'd want to trade, Moore would be one of them because, you know, he's he's someone who has a fairly reasonable salary. Uh, I want to say he's expiring. He provides some on-court value for a playoff team, possibly. 
And I, but also I, I think he could be salary filler for a trade for a bigger fish. And I, Schmitz talked about this all the time, but so Bradley Beal, you know, like you said, the wizards earlier, you're talking about how the wizards are looking at this as a rebuilding year. Bradley Beal is way too good to be on a team that's rebuilding forever. Right. Um, and I don't know how they accelerate their rebuild given John Wall's contract and the, the length of it. it. It's a monster. And John Wall has been seriously injured so much. Like they're in a weird position. So Look, I'm not saying we're going to trade for Bradley Beal, but if we were going to trade for someone like Bradley Beal, then Etwan Moore would probably be a part of that package. So yeah, the weird part about Bradley Beal is that I, do they even have a GM yet over there in Washington? I want to say they do. Uh, yeah, that was the hesitation from earlier when there were trade rumors, along with Anthony Davis, of course, who we were going to trade him to. Bradley Beal was thrown in there in three-way deals, and that was kind of my hesitation on predicting that because a team that doesn't have a GM in place like for the future is going to be more reluctant to deal assets until they get one, right? Um, but, yeah, I mean, no, it's interesting, though. I mean, Etwan Moore definitely could be kind of filler and help, you know, potentially push a th- trade through. He could also help the Pelicans. I mean, you never know with injuries. Like, you never – if Redick went down, I mean, all of a sudden – Etwan Moore is the three-point shooter on our team. So um, another one uh, potentially could be Josh Hart. And Josh Hart said uh, yesterday, I, I want to get your take on this quote, Michael. If if you're on a team who has good veterans and don't listen to good veterans, you're not going to do well in this league. Is there anything? To, is there anything to that, or do you think that? Do you think that might be mean a little more than what's on the surface? Or do you think he was just kind of saying, hey, let's listen to the veterans here? I, I wouldn't read into it too much. I think he probably had a good point, and it, it was just sort of exaggerated. I, I don't think it's impossible to succeed without the mentorship of older players. I, but I do think you're foolish not to lean on that, especially given that, you know, it, it, in particular to the Pelicans, they actually have a lot of those guys you know, like I, they have a few at least. They have like three or four who the players can lean on for advice. So I, I would think they'd be foolish to ignore it, but I don't think it's as simple as you need it to succeed. I think for some people, they're going to be successful pretty much no matter where they land because they're that talented. But I also think that, you know, especially for fringe players, that's probably where it's more important is you need to figure out how you can make a difference in the league. And and one of the most interesting transitions for me is that, you know, if you look at college and or any sort of feeder system into the NBA, it's not always the best players who make it in the NBA. It's the players who can carve out a role. And that might mean that they have a high usage role and it might mean that they don't. You know, it just depends. I hear you there. Uh, let's go on to, I think, the last quote we have here. And it's about Lonzo Ball. And it's about his jumper here. He says, he told reporters that he was excited. He says, quote, we're going to go fast. I'm working on my jump shot and off pick and rolls for the last month. So we saw some videos, actually. And I know J.J. Redick actually had a quote saying, nothing really matters until the real refs and the real scoreboards in the real games count. Uh, he, he doesn't like looking at these workout videos, but we're going to talk about a workout video anyway because uh, we just saw a video that's kind of going viral within the New Orleans Pelicans uh, commu- fan community, the Pella fans, if you will, and it's it's a much smoother looking stroke. What are, you, what are your thoughts on 
what are your thoughts on this video that was put out? He made several jump shots in a row, and it looked pretty clean. So I like it. It looks better. I think he's got less wasted motion. It's coming more from the center of his body. I, I do think that Rick is right, and I actually have a story with this. So when I went to college, there was a guy who was trying to get back in the NBA. This is a guy who was always known as defensive player. He was a big man. He really didn't do any offense at all. He was really just there to block shots. I watched that guy work out in the gym when he was trying to get back in the NBA. He made, like, I'm not joking, like 80 or 90% of his shots were mid-range. Wow. It was insane. Like, it was actually, I might be understating it because it was that. Now, again, he was getting passes from the, to the same spot over and over again, kind of like Lonzo was today. But, you know, I think he shot, like, 30 to 40% in the actual regular season of the course of his career. So, like, yeah. I don't – I just don't care. I, I don't – you know, like, seeing someone make shots in practice, people like to get excited. If you want to get excited, like, the form is definitely the reason to get excited. But you have to see it hold up in games before you get, you know, too excited. And, and also, like, I think it's worth mentioning, too, that some players don't have a normal form and they get away with it. So someone like Kevin Martin, he has a very bizarre shot. or He had a, a very bizarre shot – that guy was a really good scorer and shooter. And it doesn't mean anything. You might have the, the cleanest looking release in the game. And if you're making none of your shots, I, I just don't care. So like, I, I want to see it hold up. I'm excited at the prospect that he's been working on it. But I, I just don't want to get, you know, I'm not all in until I see it start to happen in, in games for a prolonged period of time. Right. I mean, it's a make or miss league. It doesn't matter how the ball goes into the hoop. It only matters if it does. And Lonzo will be getting, you know, less defensive attention from a shot uh, blocking perspective. Right. I mean, defenders are going to be playing off him, trying to kind of dare him to shoot every now and then. So until we see him capitalize on that, you know, we can't really make judgments. And like you said, I mean, in practice, it's a lot easier. Not only is, do you not have these guys, uh, you know, these guys with seven feet wingspan, you know, trying, you know, sticking a hand in your face, but also there's also just a lot of pressure. And a lot of shooting is about confidence, right? And a lot of shooting is also about fatigue. And when you're in a game, you know, you're more fatigued and you're less confident and you know, there's more pressure, obviously. So there's a, so many different, there's crowd noise. I mean, there's so many different factors that can make, uh, a player a worse shooter and if you need any evidence of that other than Michael's story or other than your story here you can if you ever go to a Pelicans game or any NBA game really um, I mean we'll leave the Suns out of it no I'm just joking uh, if you go to any NBA game and you just watch their pregame right you just kind of watch them uh, take shots I mean even like the centers you know like the seven foot centers or you know, constant swooshes, like from mid-range, like unguarded, like so many three-point shots being made. I mean, there's so many times where players actually have two shots going in at the same time and then the balls will reflect off each other because both of these guys are about to – I mean, it's just constant shots going in. I mean, it, it's pretty remarkable actually what these players can do in practice. Yeah, and I there's another story too. I want to say our LSU guy Marcus Thornton hit 98 threes in a row on a uh, That's on a, on a uh, it was a pre-draft workout. That was the story. Again, I you know I'm not I'm not pretending like I was sitting there watching Marcus Thornton hoist these things, but like it's just a different game. Like it, you, like you're saying, yeah. fatigue, you know the the pressure of the moment, and I, I think what 
people neglect is, is especially for someone smart like Lonzo, I think at some level, a lot of players who are really good at thinking the game can overthink the game. And I think when they get in, in sort of situations where they're taking shots and they've maybe missed a few or they're, they're not really on that night, I think it gets in their head and it can potentially make it worse. Um, yeah. So, and he's always looking for yep. great passes, too. I mean, he's right. such a great passer that, you know, even that slightest hesitation when he pulls up and may, you know, just thinking in the back of his mind, oh, is somebody open right now? Like, is somebody, should I be passing this ball? Somebody like Lonzo is always thinking about the next pass. So even that. And we actually spoke to another issue with potential shooting, his free throws, right? I mean, a guy is going to be less likely to drive into the lane if he can't sink the free throws or convert on the free throws afterwards once he gets fouled. So there are a lot of factors in play during a game. Uh, so we just, you're right, we have to see it. Um, the last thing I learned at Media Day was, before we get into expectations of the rookies, and this is just, you don't even have to comment on this, Michael, I just thought it was really interesting. Uh, I didn't know that new vice president and player care uh, of performance, Aaron Nelson, that great trainer that we got, probably one of the best trainers in the NBA, very coveted, uh, you know, acquirement this off season. I didn't know that he uh, spent the entire off season refurbishing the entire Pelicans training room, uh, which I think is really cool, and it kind of speaks about you know the new culture and the new roster and everything like that. Um, I I thought that was cool because normally when you get a new trainer in, it's like okay, you know, we're gonna, you know work with what we have here but no you don't really think about the trainer actually changing you know the equipment and everything like that so i thought that was pretty interesting every time i hear the word refurbished i think of an xbox getting refurbished or like some sort of game system but i i do think it's true like and but that was really with all of the the things that they did this offseason including getting griffin i think the reason that people bought into what they're doing was because gail was buying into the team and i think if she literally, hadn't opened her, literally. yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I don't think if she had opened, if she hadn't opened her pocketbook and really wanted to make a difference in the perception of the team, I don't think Griffin would have happened. Obviously, the the lottery was outside of all of that, and we still would have gotten lucky. But everything else, well, I, I guess assuming that it's not, <laughs> assuming that it's not rigged, um, yeah. But uh, I, I do think that all of those investments are, you know, like that's why people came, and you know, that's why we have great people in organizations because Gail opened up her pocketbook to do so yeah and and to to piggyback off that one more quote from media day i know you guys must be getting sick now but Derek favors just uh said when they asked him about his trade and if he was looking forward to coming to the pelicans uh we learned in media day yesterday that favors actually specifically asked to go to the pelicans he didn't ask to be put on the trade block he said once he realized that utah was kind of changing their roster and needed uh, needed a new cap situation, or he wasn't going to fit into the cap, basically. He asked them, hey, can you trade me to New Orleans? Because he liked what he saw here. And I think that kind of just kind of piggybacks off what you said there, kind of proves that there is optimism here, and players are seeing the investment that uh, Gail Benson is making here into the team, which well, is great. So I don't know if this was from Media Day, but I think one of my favorite quotes from Favors, I don't know if you had heard this, was that uh, they're asking him about New Orleans being a football city? <laughs> he said he told like an Uber driver or some sort of like a shared ride oh, system I that he was this. a Falcons fan, and the guy the guy told him to get out. 
Um, yeah, <laughs> lesson learned there. <laughs> lesson learned. That's hilarious. Yeah, that's great. Right? I mean, there's there's a lot of a lot of passion right now with Drew Brees out, and we're, this is probably the. I think this was two days ago. So I think this was the day after the cow. We beat the Cowboys without Drew. So, uh, yeah. I mean, I mean, he'll he'll learn there. He'll learn there. <laughs> Um, and I'm hoping that uh, I'm going to throw some shade at the Falcons re- real quick on our Hopefully we don't have any Pella, Pella fans that are actually from Georgia or anything like that. But uh, hopefully more we have a high, higher attendance rate at the Pelicans games this season than the Falcons do at their games. Because, gosh, I mean, if you just go Google some of their recent, uh, like, attendance, uh, you got to Google some of these pictures that some of their beat writers were doing or posting on Twitter is like 20 minutes before a game. You can see like three people in the stadium. I know it's like a late crowd often that how that happens for the Pelicans too, but it's, it is alarming how few people go to these Falcons games. It's pretty shocking, honestly. So hopefully the Pel Derek favors will be pleased with the fan support with the Pelicans, as opposed to his Falcons there. Uh, Michael, let's look, I mean, we're already, 40-something minutes into this podcast. Let's try to quickly go through rookie expectations here. Uh, we've talked about Zion Williamson a lot, so we don't need to harp on Zion Williamson's expectations. We've talked a lot about how we're trying not to put everything on his plate. But in, term, uh, in terms of what we're asking him to do on the court, um, what do you see, what do you want from Zion Williamson this season? So, okay, so what I really want from him, I want to see how he adjusts to finishing versus NBA length. I think it's going to be an adjustment for him. He was so incredibly successful in college at finishing over everybody because he was just on a different athletic plane. He still will be from almost everybody, but there's going to be a whole lot more length thrown at him consistently, night after night. And I think he's going to have to figure out ways to get around that. That will always be, in my mind, his bread and butter. I mean, I think Zion's a very bright player. I think he's probably undercredited for how smart of a player he is. But at the end of it all, what makes Zion special is that Zion's got the body control and explosion of someone who's much smaller than he is, in addition to being incredibly big physically and strong. Um, He's got a nice touch at the rim as well. So like, he's going to have to figure out, though, how to get those shots off for other people. So what I want to see from him is not just the adjustment, but how he gets there. And that's going to be an adjustment because people will know the holes in his game. They're going to sag off of him. And of course, like sometimes it won't matter because he is that good at what he does. But I think how he gets to the rim and how he's creative in getting there, how he's cutting off the ball, you know, again, how he's adjusting his finishing versus NBA length. Those are the things I'm most concerned with. I, the shooting will come in time. I know Michael McNamara was talking about on Twitter and saying, you know, one of the things is that we often are are so focused on shooting that we, there are a lot of consequences to someone trying to shoot more than they really should. And one of the things that that could happen is that you could curb his aggression. That's the last thing I want. I, I want him to focus purely on getting to the basket and how successful he can be doing that because over time he'll, he'll fix the other holes in his game, hopefully. And, you know, they'll be exposed. You know, we'll, we'll start to figure out who he is and who he isn't as an NBA player. Yeah, I'm interested in the defensive perspective here because the game, you know, is, is a, a little tougher in the NBA. So I'm interested to see how his steals and blocks kind of pan out there. 
I don't want him to be in a situation where, you know, he's like just a tad bit late on going for steals because he's a very an aggressive defender in terms of, you know, he will try to go, for lack of better words, you know, another football analogy, he's going for the pick six, like a lot. You, you know what I'm saying? Like he's going for the steal uh, and the transition dunk often. And I don't want him to gamble a lot on steals and just be a tad late because he's not used to the NBA pace or you know, the speed of things. And same from a block perspective, right? I don't want him to be, he obviously has a vertical leap, you know, that can get him to space and, you know, through the roof. And I don't want him to be jumping too much and too high to where, you know, he's either landing on players or it puts him out of positions because he's biting for fakes or, uh, or he's on the offensive perspective that he's playing too aggressive and he gets charges, right? So I think I, I'm, I'm mostly concerned with how he kind of uh, composes his athleticism and isn't too aggressive to the point where he's getting in foul trouble and gets frustrated. Okay, so I kind of agree with that, and I also, but I kind of disagree. I think what I okay. really want to see, because I, I, so my perspective on all this stuff is that I'd much rather a player learn over time to dial back aggression than to dial it back a whole lot right now. Even if it's at, you know, even if this is at the expense of the Pelicans maybe being, again, it pretends they're they're not the eighth best defense, they might be the 14th because Zion cheats that much, which is, of course, a, probably a ridiculous gap. But I, I think what I want to see from him is I, I do think he's going to make a lot of mistakes, but I think that that's how players learn. I think yeah. I'd much rather a player be too aggressive and get chewed out for it and then learn to dial it back than, hey, don't even be aggressive from the get-go if that makes sense. And that's not necessarily what you're saying, but I think that's the balance, right? Is like you allow them to make the mistakes that rookies and second year and third year players should make early on so they can learn, oh, this isn't the right time to gamble, but this is the right time to gamble when it's another circumstance. So I think that's what I'm looking for on defense. Yeah, that's fair. You don't want him to be too passive. If he's, if he's overdoing what I'm fearing then he might be too passive and it might affect him long term yeah i definitely see what you're saying there uh let's talk numbers right i mean hoop ball great fantasy basketball website here uh the vegas over under on zion points is i believe is 19 uh let's talk numbers here what are some of the numbers that you expect for zion williamson in his rookie year uh at duke it was 22.6 points a game 8.9 boards 2.1 uh, assists, 2.1 steals, and 1.8 blocks per game. Uh, what are what are, What's kind of the raw statistic line that you're expecting out of Zion Williamson as a rookie? Oof. Um, so I really, I guess it depends on how, I and mean, this is a sort of a cop-out, but I mean, it's going to depend upon how many minutes he's playing. I would expect that he'll be close to what Vegas has him in terms of points per game. I want to say I said like 18 a long time ago when I was trying to put it together. I think he's going to okay. he's not going to shoot whatever he shot like I think it was 72% or something crazy like that from the field. Yeah, he had a 70% <laughs> true Se- shooting percentage. Okay. okay, so it was 70%. There's no way he does that uh, I don't think as a rookie. If he did, good good lord help us like that that guy's going to be one of the best of all time, um if not the best of all time. But I do think he'll be probably hovering around 20 points per game. I wouldn't expect him to exceed it because I think Ingram and other players like Drew in particular will get more touches or more shots. But I think closing in on 20 points, I think he'll close it on 10 rebounds. I think 
he's going to get a lot really? of yeah because i think they're going to focus on i mean favors is a very good rebounder you know favors is going to get a pretty nice boost in his rebounding because he's switching to full-time center duties so he's going to be around the rim more but i do think they're going to really try to grab and go a lot and i think you see the success of it where players who can really grab a rebound and push it up the floor which zion can um you're, you're sort of accelerating your offense and that's something they've talked about is pushing the pace and, and things like that i think zion will be a big part of that so i think he'll be around i mean i think he'll be around a double double and i think he'll be closing in on 20 points per game so gotcha yeah i'm a little i'm a little less optimistic on the points i think that well and the boards actually i think it'll be around uh well i don't know it, were you saying like you were you meaning like eight rebounds per game i, I think that's what kind of i have them at maybe 7.5 or eight no i have uh, them as more because ter- I, I think that the pace oh, is really? so different okay. the pace is so different in college and pros that i think i think if he gets the minutes again this is all depending on how many minutes per game he gets if he's getting yeah. 30 then is he probably getting 10 rebounds per game probably not if he's getting 32, 33, I think you're you're closing in on that space where he is. I think he'll probably average between like 10 and a half and 11 point uh, rebounds per 36. That's my guess because I think he'll, I, I think he'll be a I monster gotcha. on the offensive boards if they allow him to be. If they allow him yeah. the I guess the risk taking to to get in, you know, basically fight for offensive rebounds at possibly the expense of transition defense. Yeah, I would go the under on the points, though, the Vegas points at 19. I, I would bet the under on that just because of what you were saying about uh, we do have other scoring options there. And uh, I, I think he's going to be closer to about 17 points a game. And that two points is actually a huge difference. So, But anyway, uh, I would go the under on there. And I'm, I'm kind of expecting – I don't know. I want to say three or four assists a game because I do think he's a good passer, and probably I'm I'm kind of hesitating with steals and blocks. I want to say like one point three steals and maybe one point. I'm going to say the same one point three blocks and one point three steals, which would be great. I mean, but uh, what are your thoughts on that? I think those are reasonable figures. I don't think he's going to be averaging over two blocks per game. That's for sure. I think yeah. you're really going to see, you know, I, wingspan just matters a lot for blocks. It just does. And I, despite how athletic he is, I don't think he's closing in on two, especially this early. I think his timing will probably be good enough later into his career yeah. where, like, if you hit him where he's got some experience and he's still got his explosion like he does right now, he'll probably average closer to two. Um, but I think it'll be more like, I would say one point. Well, I, I think 1.3 is a reasonable thing. I think 1.3 to 1.5 is probably a reasonable expectation yeah. for both of them. I was going to say 1.5. I didn't want to be too optimistic though. I would love to see 1.5 for each of the steals and blocks. Um, let's move on to Jackson Hayes. I mean, eighth overall pick for the Pelicans here. And, uh, he was a Texas Longhorn and he's got a seven, four wingspan. And right now he's kind of our third string center, if you will, behind uh, Derek Favors and Jaleel Okafor, and I think he'll start the season there. Um, a lot of Pella fans aren't really expecting Jackson Hayes to contribute much early in the season, at least. But he might become more of a factor later if the Pelicans are out of contention. So my stance on Jackson Hayes is that I don't really want to see him play that much, honestly, in his rookie year. Because if he's playing, it's probably bad news for the Pelican season, right? It could be. I mean, I think he'll get some time. Yeah, I think he'll get some garbage time. I think he will get some minutes here and there. I do agree yeah. that he's really not 
like I think they even said that they they're treating this almost like a redshirt year, as he sort of yeah, acclimates to the pro game. He is really raw. I, what is nice though about young bigs who are athletic like that is, if you don't put them in situations where they're expected to play twenty five thirty a night, if they're just sort of like, almost like Diallo really has been most of his career where he's in there for energy and he's not. I mean, he was never someone that we really leaned on or relied upon. I think that, that Hayes is athletic enough to make somewhat of an impact, especially if he's playing around other people who can cover up for some of his mistakes. Um, and I, I do think he's a very good long-term prospect. So I selfishly, I'm kind of wanting to see him more than maybe is good for the Pelicans this year. And that sort of goes back to the 75-25 theory. So, I, yeah, I don't yeah. think he'll play in every game. I think he'll play maybe like 30, 40 games. And he might wind up, you know, averaging five, eight minutes per game, you know, over the course of the season. I don't know. I, 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 it'll be low. I don't think he'll play a lot. Yeah, he's I love the point about him being more aggressive when he's actually in the game, um, because you see guys like Mitchell Robinson for the Knicks, who when he plays limited minutes, he's able to go for all these swats. Right. And he's able to be more aggressive. And at the expense of actually taking a lot of fouls to where if, at that rate, if he was playing 30 minutes a game, you know, he'd foul out almost every game. But Jackson Hayes will be, you know, if he's only playing for a couple of minutes a game in games that are already kind of determined, if you will, uh, he'll he'll get a chance to be aggressive and he'll get a chance to make some of those raw rookie mistakes. Yeah, and that's what you want. I mean, you want someone to learn from their mistakes. So I think he will get he will get that kind of experience when the time's right. You know, depending on what happens with Favors, uh, that's what I'm sort of – I'm wondering what Favors is going to be like for us long term. If he is someone who yeah. is going to be around for the long haul, that would obviously cut into what kind of minutes per game that Hayes gets, um, which actually in a weird way could kind of help us because I think Hayes will probably wind up getting – if he develops into what he looked like in summer league, um, you could be talking about a max contract player very easily. And, you know, maybe not, I don't know. I feel like I might be a little high on that, but I, I think that it's possible and you don't want him to have, you know, this ridiculous contract. So if, if sort of holding him back artificially helps with that, I don't know. I feel like I'm even talking myself out of my own argument. I think he's going to get a really big contract um, and I, I do want him to yeah. get time. I, I take it all back. Just don't listen. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. I think it's good. It's good. Stream of thought, stream of consciousness near. Uh, let's get into Nikhil Alexander-Walker. He also had a great summer league, right? I mean, he was phenomenal. I think he got the uh, – I think he was on first or second team all summer league, I'm pretty sure, for what it's worth. I, I'm kind of talking now and kind of saying, oh, that's really not that important. But it's better than not being on it, right? So – uh, so he was pretty impressive, and he did a variety of different things in college and in summer league. He kind of showed uh, that he can be a good scorer. Uh, how much do you think that uh, NWA, or sorry, NAW, Naw, as we'll call him, uh, how much do you think Naw is going to play in uh, in his rookie year? Whew. This one's like another tough one because I think what he did in summer league is not what he would do for this team. I, they, they've talked about seeing him as, as sort of a point guard. Um, but a lot of the passes he was making, I, I know they look really great, but I don't think he's going to get that kind of Liberty on this year's team. And I don't think he yeah. should at least. And so you're talking about a very different role from what he assumed there. And for a player like that, I don't think players like that, I just think it'd be hard to dial that back. I, I just do. I, I think players like that sort of see a game, the, the game a certain way. 
And honestly, I don't want them to dial it back. I, I think you can look at someone like Jokic. If you look at Jokic's story, they're talking about how like he was doing all these crazy passes in practice. And, you know, lo and behold, he gets into the game. He's got these crazy passing angles that he delivers from. He's always thinking one or two steps ahead. I think actually, I don't want to go on a tangent too much here, but I think one of the things that I love about passers is sometimes the pass doesn't have to be exactly on the mark if it's so early because your recognition is that is that excellent. And Jokic yeah. is certainly that kind of passer for me. And if Nikhil shows even just a fraction of what that is, I mean, that would be a big win. And I just don't know how on this team today, besides maybe backup point guard duties, I don't know what role he would assume. Right. I mean, the equivalent is when a quarterback throws a ball before the receiver breaks out of his route, kind of an anticipation throw. You don't have to be that accurate if you put it generally in the right spot and the, you know, the receiver just gets out of his break and he's able to make the catch, right? You don't have to be as accurate to where if the defender's draped on him because the defender's not going to be, you know, glued to him right after he gets out of his break, right? I mean, the receiver's barely going to know it. So I see what you're saying about the uh, about making anticipatory passes. You know, uh, some players are going to be able to do it sooner than others, and you don't have to deliver it right to his chest every time or right to where he's going every single time because, in a way, it can catch the defender off guard regardless. So, uh, But, yeah, Nikhil Alexander-Walker certainly showed some risky and intent, either really good or risky passes that sometimes led to turnover in the summer league. Uh, what's your minutes take on him? Do you think, how many minutes do you think he's going to play, and where do you, who do you think he's behind in the rotation? I think he's pretty far down there. I think we just have so many wings that can play basketball that it's going to be hard to find minutes for him early on. I I think maybe you could talk about him getting more like five to ten minutes a night um, just to get him in there, maybe to play a little bit of backup point guard and see what he is. But that might be, you know, in the middle of the year, towards the end of the year. Uh, Honestly, like there are so many players in the wing that I'm having a very hard time projecting yeah. Especially people like Naw. I mean, I know the main guys, you know, they're going to get a lot of minutes, but the guys like... Pelicans are deep. Yeah, man. this is the deepest. I, I really do think, you know, Schmidt talked about last podcast how we really don't have a backup point guard, which I agree if you're not considering, you know, Drew a, a backup point guard if he's playing a lot alongside Lonzo. Um, I think Frank Jackson it would be the backup point guard if somebody, I guess, if Lonzo were to get hurt. I think so. Uh, I, I I have worries about Jackson because I think I have worries. Yeah. Too, oh, okay, you're saying that that's they, his role. He, yeah. Yeah, I'm not saying he should be the point backup point guard. I'm saying that I think that's what the team would do first. I think he would be our first option. If that didn't work, we might look to make changes. But I think just based on what I've seen, uh, and your opinion obviously holds more weight here. But based on what I've seen, I think that Jackson would be given the keys to the backup point guard job if Lonzo would get hurt, and then we'll see what happens from there. I think so. But yeah. I don't know. No, I agree. But what were you saying, though? You were saying that you know if Lonzo were to get hurt, Nikhil might be kind of tested there a little bit? Or Yeah, I, I think he would get I think he'd get more run for sure because I don't think they have a lot of primary creators on this roster in terms of pure point guards. I mean, they have a lot of sort of like secondary and tertiary playmaking. I think Kenrich is a pretty good tertiary facilitator. I think Zion's a better passer than he's given credit for. 
Um, you know, Drew is not a pure point guard, but if you have Drew and Lonzo together, that's that's a lot of playmaking. I think there's a lot of sort of like team playmaking built in, but I don't think there are a lot of guys on this this roster who can initiate it in offense. And so if it comes down to it, Lonzo does get hurt or Drew gets hurt or whatever, I think there might be a small wind of opportunity for someone like Naw. I do think that you're correct, though. I, I think Frank Jackson be the first person to get that shot. Where I'm not as comfortable is I don't think Frank Jackson's a guy who runs an NBA offense. I think he's more of a combo guard, personally. Gotcha. I think that has to wrap up this week's episode. I mean, this podcast was very lengthy today, but lots of great content. Uh, thank you for tuning in to On the Fly, the official New Orleans Pelicans podcast for HoopBall.com. Your in-flight insight for the sharpest Pella fans. If you like what you heard today, please subscribe to On the Fly and give us a five-star rating on iTunes. You can also follow Mike and I on Twitter, at Mike underscore Pelicans, and I'm at Fantasy Law Guy on Twitter. Uh, tune in next week and flock up, Pella fans. This has been a Hoop Bowl presentation. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today, or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.